Welcome to Orion Valley. I'm Josh Wall. I'm Rihanna Hudson. Frankly, I love movies. And frankly, I love books. Welcome to our podcast where we dissect films with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium so much. We're currently running our series Off the Shelf, where we discuss film adaptations of novels and see how they compare to each other. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about the one and only, the late, the great, Joan Didion, uh, Rihanna, you picked for this week, uh, Play It As It Lays, her seminal novel and the no- and the uh, film from 1971, I believe. So tell me why you picked this, what Didion means to you, and uh, just... Yeah, so let's let's start there. What does sure this book thing. mean to you? Um, this is one of my favorite books of all time, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I picked it honestly because uh, I just I love this book, and I thought, and also I want other people to read it. I want you to read it. Yeah, I, just, I uh-huh. love this book so much. Um, highly recommend this to our listeners. Go read it. It's a quick read. Mm-hmm. Pause this episode if you have to. Yeah, <laughs> come back. Um, yeah, so Didion means a lot to me uh, as when it comes to my own personal, I guess, journey that sounds corny in, you know, writing and just reading. And I I, I first became familiar with her uh, taking a, a workshop when I was in school and uh, my professor was extremely into Didion and had us watch for class a documentary that I believe is like a Netflix original property, whatever, uh, about her and her life and her work because she's so prolific. Um, mm-hmm. And and she's a, a very uh, interesting and tragic <coughs> life story. You know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her husband passed away, and then I think within like a year or two, her their uh, their daughter passed away from just like a freak illness accident. And um, so, you know, a tragedy like that, Didion's meditations on it as a writer and from her journalist perspective, she wrote uh, The Year of Magical Thinking, which I have also read. um, And that book is wonderful. Yeah, I'm rambling here. Sorry, my brain's fried. (laughs) No, it's Uh, okay. But... Your brain's fried. I'm just getting out of a cold. We're, <laughs> we're powering through. We're making it work. It's going to be okay. We have a lot of rich conversation ahead of us, folks. It may take us a minute to get the engine running, but once we do, there's no stopping us, I, I assure you. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, yeah, Didion, what she means to me, I, I just love her writing so much. I mean, you just read almost anything from her because, you know, she has her essays, which I consider her to be the most known for, you know, the white album, Slouching Towards Bethlehem, her collections of her essays. And she, you know, has her journalistic, if that's a word, uh, journalism is what I'm probably looking for. Uh, Work. Uh, The thing that comes to mind is her book, Miami, which I read a couple summers ago. Uh, which has to do with <laughs> political <laughs> things that uh, I am far too ignorant to really be able to explain properly. But just her skills as a writer just shows in everything she does, 
just the way she speaks and the way she, you know, faces things like the passing of her husband, the passing of her daughter. Uh, because I also read the year of magical thinking, which was wonderful. Uh, and you know, I could get into later her skills as a writer, uh, when it comes to just the research and curiosity that is so obvious in the way that she writes that, that she really considers every angle of everything, uh, which makes played as it lays a wonderful book, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, I am forever indebted to that professor who introduced me to her because uh, I had not been familiar with her work beforehand. But after watching uh, the documentary that I think her nephew... Uh, Griffin Dunn, yeah. Yes, um, produced, which is called, I believe, The Center Will Not Hold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on Netflix. Great documentary. It's wonderful listening to Didion speak. I went on to read her fiction first because that's what I always am the most uh, eager to read. It's my favorite thing to read is fiction. So I read Play It As It Lays and reading it before reading her essays, uh, I I think was a pretty cool experience because while there's a difference in, you know, I'm going to stop myself. I'm going to ask you, Josh, what did you think of it? Because <laughs> I, I, I can feel myself rambling and trailing no. off. No, it's uh, okay. It's while all... my brain just <laughs> slows to a stop. So no. how, how did you like it? Because I, I thought curious. it was, ter- I thought it was terrific. I thought it was a, uh, unlike really any novel I had read before. Uh, I agree that she has this, just natural curiosity about the subjects that she is um, focusing on. And we do have quite a number of rich characters in this book <laughs> in a setting that I personally adore. I'm a huge oh my fan goodness. of, you know, the Hollywood system and that setting for <laughs> stories. Like, I don't know if, if any of you have ever read um, Robert Evans's, who, who's a producer um, from, uh, of Paramount when he produced like the Godfather films and Rosemary's baby mm. in Chinatown, uh, his, mem- his autobiography, uh, called the kids days in the picture is all this like sprawling portrait of, uh, the, a golden era of Hollywood and then how it ushers into new Hollywood. And I just have always loved that setting. Um, and so have, I didn't realize going into this, I knew I had never heard of this book until you brought it up to me, which yes, my ignorance, uh, will show there. But I didn't. I, I purposefully was like, I don't want to know anything else going into it. I don't. I just want to yeah. kind of have the story unfold as it happened. I knew of Didion, like I knew the name. I didn't. I hadn't really been exposed to her in a class setting or um, through my own personal reading. But your rave reviews and like clear <laughs> connection to her made me very excited to read this. Uh, and I uh, found myself not being able to stop at points to read because yeah. it was so fascinating and such an interesting portrait of uh of this woman uh mariah who's the main character we'll talk about and just her interactions with everybody and how she navigates through this uh late 60s period hollywood system it's just it was so fascinating and i had a great time reading it despite the fact that it is a very disturbing and unsettling book (laughs) after a certain point um but yeah i i i think didion I mean, this whole episode is going to be just, I think, just mainly about like showering her and her uh, 
like her style because I don't want to talk. I don't want to say anything about the movie yet other yeah. than you can tell that she was a part of it. Like she yeah. obviously wrote the screenplay yeah. with her husband for that film. Yeah. Um, the book was also, I uh, just wanted to make a note that it was on Time Magazine's list of one of the top 100 best English language novels of 1923 to 2005. Oh, so extremely influential for that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so a prolific writer, an essayist, a novelist, a screenwriter, across like so many different platforms. And she's able to kind of, you know, meld those styles together. One thing she really that, is. Yeah. One thing that really stuck to, out to me about the book is that like all the chapters, while they're very short, but they also have the structure of an essay. Like they'll just kind of stop. And then when they get to the next chapter, you're almost in a completely different scene. But yeah. all of the points that, that, that are contained within the scene of the last chapter feel like a complete scene. Yeah. And, and it was interesting how she was able to do that. Like, she was able to sustain that for an entire novel. Yeah, you just hit on what I was trying to and failing to articulate earlier. <laughs> <laughs> was that I remember reading Miami, which I, I picked it up at like a thrift store or something when I saw it just because I, I love Didion and I hadn't read it, didn't know what it was even about. Uh, but I knew it was nonfiction, obviously. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to read it. Uh, and I was already familiar with, you know, her writing by that point. And even reading her, um, you know, reporting on a, a complicated geopolitical situation that uh, went over my head half the time. She's such an incredible writer. And it, it, it sounds corny to say like a command of the English language. Uh, but th the way that she is able to really write in a way that it almost even her nonfiction has the flow and storytelling that is typical of fiction. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that stems from just how talented she is at being able to take in a narrative and then make that turnover from real situation to compelling prose mm -hmm. uh and, and you know it, it, a real compelling situation will make for compelling storytelling anyway but she's just so able to uh put in that style i think that that's the word that i've been missing this entire time her style uh mm -hmm. is just so cool yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it's not as present in uh her fiction i think but in her essays just her vocabulary is just beautiful. Like, yeah. So gorgeous and, and intelligent. It just, it just bleeds through with everything she writes, just how genius she is. And God, I love it. And yeah. I, I think, you know, in terms of, of this novel played as it lays and, you know, you touched on, uh, we'll get into it more later, but it's set in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And I think her essay, uh, the white album, not, the like entire book but the singular essay the white album is a pretty good companion piece to read uh with this novel because she in the white album she writes about living in la hollywood during a very tense period of time yeah. you know the 60s with um you know political movements and of course the manson murders and hippies yeah. <laughs> and just this like general Trans tension mm -hmm. of uh the other shoe is about to drop but we don't know how yeah uh, and i think 
reading her insight on what it was like to just live in Hollywood during that time and how much it was starting to really eat at her nerves and then seeing how it translated into a, a fictitious narrative of, you know, this failed actress living mm-hmm. in Hollywood. Uh, it's pretty interesting because she wrote played as it lays during that time period that she writes about in the white album, uh, the essay where she was just living in LA and hearing about all the crime and just her house was constantly filled with just like, strangers coming in and out because of like parties she was having and yeah just the general tension of you know all this glitz and glamour and decadence can't really go on for much longer without some terrible consequence (laughs) coming from it because nothing good lasts yeah and just her her cynicism uh very cynical she's extremely cynical (laughs) but i would almost go as so far as to call it realism instead of cynicism there's 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 validity in what she's saying oh exactly Mm -hmm. and 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 i think it's so great i guess this will end up segueing into talking about the general plot of the novel unless you have more to say of course um but i just love getting to uh read a cynic's uh point of view on trying to make it in Hollywood yeah, (laughs) as an actress. Uh, And especially because she was familiar with movie making. She had, um, and I'm just trying to go off of memory here from watching the documentary four years ago. Um, But she had so many friends who were like filmmakers. She knew the Planskys, well, Mm -hmm. Roman Plansky and then Sharon Tate Plansky. Um, in the White Album, she mentions that her and Roman Polanski uh, are the godparents of the same child, and so and her parties, she would have actors over, so she was in that world. Yeah, and I really loved getting to read, play it as it lays. I think it's just so interesting to almost get that journalistic. I don't think that's a word. I keep using it. Someone check me and then send me a negative dm journalistic <laughs> is a word relating okay. to journalists or journalism <laughs> awesome uh sure that journalistic quality of being mm-hmm. in that world and knowing what it's like but then also being a realist i won't even say cynic and knowing that it it's not something that will last without also negative terrible things yeah happening in its wake absolutely so i love it yeah, it's so fascinating, and uh, you know she, the way she tells the story, she she's with a lot of conviction, and she very clearly like has a path for this woman, um, for Mariah, the main character, uh, and I think I, I want to get into that journey, but first, just I want to give a really quick brief synopsis on uh, the book itself. Uh, we follow uh, Mariah Waith, who is uh, a, a failed B movie actress, uh, kind of trying to make her way through. Uh, Hollywood, and then uh, we obviously then travel to Las Vegas and the Mojave Desert throughout the course of the film, talking with other actors and her uh, husband or ex-husband at part of the book. They're uh, in the middle of a divorce. In the middle of separation and divorce. Um, Carter and their relationship with each other, and they have a daughter who is in a mental health uh, institution right now because of uh, some exposure to a chemical i believe it's, it's unspecified I, where did you um this will sound like i'm grilling you but i'm not where did the exposure to a chemical thing come i from? thought i saw that on uh on the wikipedia page oh, okay so here we go 
this is on the the plot synopsis of the of the book on Wikipedia. It says later we find that she and Carter have a four year old daughter, Kate, who is under mental and physical treatment for some apparent chemical in her brain. Oh, okay. So that's I just weird. misread that. <laughs> I, no, no, no. That's not you misreading it. And I'm wondering like who wrote that. Um, I I think it's like it's an unspecified you know illness Condition, going on. Yeah. And and I just love that it's unspecified. You mm-hmm. know, at one point. Uh, Mariah is speaking to a nurse who mentions that her daughter started um, a medication that I think is now defunct. Um, but it was it was a medication basically used to treat like ADHD. It was like some kind of combination of Adderall and caffeine or something. So um, everything you know, little context clues. Yeah, a little context <laughs> clues there that it's something. Uh, it, it's a behavioral issue, but it could very well stem from. Some kind of chemical imbalance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's essentially what the story is, and that may sound uh, kind of—I don't want to say like empty, but it sounds kind of thin because I think the book is very episodic in that way. It's very—you uh, it, kind of just go through the motions of being with these characters as information. There's not really one single driving force. Like, there's no. Um, there's, there isn't like a, a single objective, like we kind of go with these characters as they're at parties. And then when they're, uh, shooting a movie at the end, they're on location, the Mojave desert. And I think one thing that kept coming to my mind as I was reading this, you were mentioning like this kind of turn of the tides of when the shoe's about to drop in the late sixties to early seventies of Hollywood. And this changing of just media is, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood is Quentin Tarantino's mm-hmm. film uh, that came out a few years ago is also very episodic and kind of following. I'm not saying as a direct comparison, but I'm saying like that, um, that, that movie is episodic and it's set in a similar time period of showing these characters kind of lost in their careers and trying to find their place. Uh, and I think that that's just an interesting story and an interesting setting. And I love what she does with this because she sets it up she have these like three testimonials about Mariah and you get a lot of good insights about how other people like think about her and how they interact with each other. Because like, I think we, we just talked about the green Knight a couple weeks ago <laughs> and that's a story where, you know, everyone's nice to each other. As we said, <laughs> this is the exact opposite. Everyone, yeah, everyone is everyone just is so mean and vicious <laughs> and vile to one another. Uh, and it gives this, like everyone is like kind of putting on these fake personas when they're talking to one another, these like, you know, empty smiles and trying to ask about like, Oh, like how is everything going with you? And like, just, but just really just trying to keep up appearances. And that obviously is a comment on the entertainment industry, but it was just such a, an interesting contrast to that where everyone's just like, Oh, please come into my home. And now this one, everyone has this kind of biting tension uh, between them. Yeah. Yeah. As you mentioned, the book opens with um, three first person perspective chapters, one from the first one, I believe, from Mariah Mm -hmm. uh, and then one from Helene, Helene, uh, another character's wife who, you know, and those are some pretty major characters. And then Carter, who Mm -hmm. is Mariah's um, husband that she's getting separated from. Uh, And then the rest of the book is, you know, the third person narrative which i i again love and like Mm -hmm. you said it feels like almost reporting or an essay it Uh, is yeah Uh uh-huh but it keeps up the the pacing and the uh interest of you know the typical of fiction um 
and or the suspense, I should say, rather than interest, because there are a couple of big things that happen in the book, uh, mm-hmm. one of which is basically revealed in the beginning. Um, in, I don't want to say that there's no language. plot. It just yeah, no, like, no, moves no, that's in a not, different yeah, way. Yeah. I, I wasn't trying to say mm-hmm. that, um, unlike Josh said. Uh, <laughs> no, but I am saying <laughs> that there, there's a few <laughs> major things that um, happen in the book and then mm-hmm. kind of like don't go away. Like they yeah. exist in the background, even through uh, everything else that happens, no matter how kind of listless or yeah. uh, insignificant it may seem, it's all like major. Mm-hmm. Um, what I also want, just wanted to talk about, like, again, kind of going back into the style of, like we say, like Didion is kind of writing in this essay format. She's also like really like her strength is in brevity. She's really good at keeping mm. things like super succinct. Like I said, the chapters all I don't I think the longest chapter in this book is like four pages. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. Sometimes they're one paragraph. Yeah. Like, she, sometimes that's it. And she you, really. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm no, it's OK. And like and you get like every single chapter gives you a better insight into either you know, Mariah's point of view or the world itself or other people. Even when she's just like talking to someone at the front desk of a hotel, like that Mm -hmm. feels like it's adding like deeper layers to the way that she's being treated just in this world. And you find at least a, like a semblance of empathy for this character, even though we also established that Mariah is not a great person. Mm-hmm. Um, but Didion is also not judging her. You know, Didion is very much like trying to give an accurate portrayal of this person. Yeah. That, that, well, that's a wonderful observation because it makes me think of um, one essay that she wrote, which I'm pretty sure is in um, Slouching Towards Bethlehem. It's in that collection. Uh, called on self-respect i'm not going to try to summarize (laughs) a very wonderful essay because i feel like just trying to strip it down to um its basics really negates just the amazing things that didion has to say about self-respect and having respect for yourself Mm -hmm. um but i will try to sum it up anyway so basically you know in this essay didion talks about how self-respect is less about trying it's, it's less about avoiding doing the wrong thing uh, and more about, you know, navigating life, knowing that you could do the wrong thing or that challenges will come and kind of just owning it anyway. And mm-hmm. that self-respect is less about like self-love and self-care and more about j- accepting that life will have challenges or accepting that you did something bad yeah. <laughs> and not mm-hmm. kind of like almost beating mm. yourself up for it. Uh, and I think her perspective on self-respect really shows in, like you said, the uh, sympathy, empathy, whatever, that she as the narrator has for Mariah. Mm-hmm. And that never do we get the sense that the narrator of the book is trying to show to the reader that Mariah is a bad person who should be punished. But just yeah. Mariah... Does does some bad things or some mm-hmm. morally empty bankrupt things? Yeah, but it is what it is. And <laughs> Mariah is going to do it anyway, and that's almost like Mariah having self respect. And yeah. I, I think, yeah, if there's if there's two like companion essays to read along with this book, I think it would be on self respect and the White Album. Okay. Just that kind of insight on 
Didion's insight on A, living in Hollywood, and then B, what it means to respect yourself, um, yeah. especially in an industry, Hollywood, uh, where so much of it seems to be trying to appease other people or like play into whatever they kind of want from you in order to advance your own career. Yeah. And, you know, Didion talks about trying to please other people too in her essay uh, on self-respect. Like, like what's the point of trying to please those around you if Mm -hmm. you're kind of not doing what you think will be the best for you? (laughs) Like sure you can do everything right and make everybody around you happy, but do you have Mm self-respect? And I, I think her kind of insight on that is very valuable to have, uh, contextually either before or finishing the novel whatever just two two wonderful essays that i recommend to everyone along i'll, with this I'll book. add i'll add those to my list um <laughs> this is definitely like the biggest it is what it is kind of novel <laughs> you know that i've read it's i mean that's definitely one of if you had to like boil the theme down to like just a basic <laughs> i think that's one thing that didian's talking about a lot of stuff in this book obviously um but i it's not like for me I didn't find this book super uh, it wasn't piano teacher levels of uh, complicated. Yeah. You know? But it was still rich. Like I, oh, I yeah. almost felt like it was a comparison to like no country where it was like a really fun like puzzle to kind of put together in terms of what was happening and what the because it's also kind of being told in this interesting structure where we start off with Mariah having this introduction of like the end of this psychotic breakdown that she had or psychological breakdown. And then we kind of see that play out throughout the rest of the novel. And so Mm -hmm. you're trying to then figure out and like get a better, uh, accurate portrait of this woman and seeing where she's coming from and what happened to her to get to this place. And, um, but Didion also gives you a lot of really great imagery of the, of any of the locations, uh, like, when they're out in the desert, there's like a lot of really great, like uh, stuff about the location that they're on and just all like, just it's so rich to read, yeah. but it's also just like, it moves with a lot of energy depending on there's a lot of good dialogue. She's an awesome dialogue writer. Yeah, she, her conversations best. are fucking awesome. <laughs> and they're, they're so rich because they have bite to them. They have purpose. They mm-hmm. like, people are not afraid to say what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, like people are very much just like, oh, she looks ugly. Like there's yeah. just like they just do that. And, and they're not it, afraid to say what they're thinking because they know the other person isn't really listening in any way. Yes, so. exactly. That's the <laughs> other thing. People will either just like like just having Mariah just kind of almost be a fly on the wall in situations mm-hmm. where she yeah. should be engaged with other people <laughs> where people are just like just kind of look over her, you know, like she's just yeah. nothing. And as if they're like, like there are many times where she's like gone into the screening room and she's like talking to Carter or BZ or someone else. And they're just talking over her or like literally like physically over her. And she's just kind of like, or there'll be whole chapters where there's one where Mariah's like getting her hair cut and she doesn't say anything. And just like mm-hmm. the hairdresser and someone else, they're just like talking about other people that have come in and being super judgmental. And Mariah's <laughs> just kind of sitting there like, uh, do you want curls in there? Yeah, it'd probably be a good idea. And then that's <laughs> basically it. And it's so interesting to kind of put yourself in those uncomfortable situations. But obviously, you know, Didion is trying to give you this idea of this woman who doesn't really have a lot of control in her life and mm-hmm. is trying to find some semblance of that. And in the moments when she does take the take control and feel as though she is having a gauge on her life, uh, it ends up backfiring or 
having a different like inverse ref- effect on her. Yeah. And she's such an interesting character to follow. Yeah. Oh my God. I just love it. And um, you were talking about setting and, mm-hmm. and Didion being able to convey uh, without being too verbose or or too descriptive to the point where your eyes start to like glaze over. Yeah, it's not Hawthorne. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's really able to convey this sense of just the smothering heat and yeah. just how claustrophobic everything feels and being at these parties where it's tons of people, but everyone there thinks that they're the center of attention and the only person in the room. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's excellent. And... I, I I get even more joy out of knowing that it, Didion is writing from the perspective of having like been to these kinds of parties and yeah. living in Hollywood and and being on movie sets and being a reporter, and it gives a kind of authenticity to it that makes her cynicism about the entire culture uh, justified because she's not just some like bitter <laughs> yeah. writer being like, well, this is what I bet it would be like. She, she 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 lived it she, and she's just cool and god i just love diddy and i'm like a huge fan which i'm sure is coming through and just the way yeah. that I, I get like googly eyed talking about her and i almost mm-hmm. don't know exactly what to say because i just i i love her so much mm-hmm. um despite the fact that i haven't read anything <laughs> everything i meant to say not anything <laughs> i just read her name ma- and I, I was like this woman is amazing i haven't I, read a single thing that she's done but i just I, know it <laughs> i read the wikipedia plot summary for players and lays and that's what this episode is based on i have not read everything by didion but what i have read um, it, it's just never left me. And this book never left yeah. me when I read it for the first time years ago. Mm-hmm. And God, I really think it, it, not so much that she was ahead of her time, but just that it, she was able to capture that Hollywood has been kind of like shallow yeah. uh, forever. <laughs> because yeah. I think, you know, currently there's probably a lot of narratives um, coming out about how uh, people are just so shallow and, and only are your friend to social climb and or advance their career or whatever, whatever, but people have been doing it forever. Yeah. It's not, it's not <laughs> a new, not yeah, a it's new not concept. a new thing. And Didion's perspective on how it was, um, or how, how it, you know, it was current for her is just so great. And I, and I really love seeing it, um, translated or, you know, portrayed through a fictitious narrative mm-hmm. um, because then it doesn't come off as like lofty and pretentious of like everyone is fake, but me, um, right, there's yeah. never any kind of in her essays and, uh, or even in, you know, the narrative of the book through Mariah and the terrible things that are kind of happening to her because she is the victim of some pretty awful circumstances. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but there's never a sense of being a martyr or yeah. I have to make meaning out of the terrible things. Like it, it's just the, this perspective of terrible things happen. Life goes on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's an ideology that Didion has outside of just writing characters. Uh, again, in the year of magical thinking, she talks about experiencing her husband's death and her daughter's illness and eventual passing. Um not from a perspective of why me, but from a perspective of this is happening and I'll try to understand it as best I can, right. especially mm-hmm. with my investigative 
spirit and curiosity, but it just happens and then yeah. you move on. And, and I, and oh my God, I love that because I think it's so easy for writers to want to get a little too wistful and teary eyed over like this happens for a reason, or there's a big lesson in all of this. Uh, and, Didion just completely betrays all that and she's yeah. like nope no lesson it just happens mm-hmm. and I think that makes for a great fiction story because it would be easy to kind of uh, write a character because it's fiction you can make up whatever happens you can make up an ending so it would be easy to write a character where there is a big lesson wrapped in a bow and she does end up getting a happy ending or some kind of meaning in what happens but Didion just doesn't do that. There's no any fulfillment there. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing warm and fuzzy. It's just like cold and real. And oh my God, I love it. <laughs> it's just so I mean, good. The ending of the book, the last line is why not? It, yeah, exactly. Like, why not? I have, I have nothing. I have no other options. There's nothing yeah. else for me to do. So I keep moving because there's, I, I, why not? Because yeah. I literally have no other thing to do besides yeah. to move forward. And it's it so- kind of is like that self-respect thing. Like it like yeah. it relates to what Didion has to say about self-respect. You know, in that essay, she she mentions people back in the uh, 1800s. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I'm correct. You know, going to California and that they knew that going to California, you might die. <laughs> yeah. Terrible things will pro- might and probably will happen statistically, but mm-hmm. they do it anyway. Because you just have to, and yeah. it's just so genius. I'm 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 glad that there isn't really a moment in here where it's like, oh, my life has more meaning because of trauma. Like I, exactly. Like, oh like my god! Because that would that, be so like very just trite and, and gross exactly. And, and that's a narrative <laughs> that I don't know if it's in any like really contemporary fiction. I'm sure it is, but that people just talk about all the time, like. <laughs> Uh, well, my life is more meaning because of trauma or like, (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like deal with it how you need to deal with it. But, Uh but you know, you want to talk about meaning. Well, technically there's really no meaning in anything that really happens. (laughs) Yeah. It's all random. So you just got to keep going. Yeah. Try and do your part to be kind and do right. And yeah. Which Mariah doesn't necessarily do. Uh, Nobody in this book is necessarily does the kind or right thing. No, 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 definitely not. Uh, And I want to get into some of the plot points for uh, sure, because, you know, there is a lot of, uh, I, and again, I didn't want to make it sound like earlier that I was like, well, nothing happens in this book, but like, Uh, no, and that wasn't the impression. It it definitely like large sections of this book prefer like, specifically towards the middle chunk are mm-hmm. just like Mariah going to her apartment and then Mariah talking to this person and talking to this person. And yeah. I'm not saying that that is boring. It's it's yeah. not, but there's it does for a large section of it. It doesn't necessarily seem that it's, it's not, you know, it's not like, Oh, Mariah's mission for the story is to do this. And she is working towards this one goal. <laughs> and yeah. so she has to go talk to her mentor. Like it's not yeah, really it, that she's it, just trying to kind of go through her life and gain some sense of control and, uh, some agency agency. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> some, some agency. Uh, and, and you're right. It is, it is fascinating. And to set it in this male dominated, you know, mm-hmm. controlling environment and also to to very cleverly position her after like the best years of her careers are kind of done. 
you yeah. know, and having her like the two biggest things that she's that she had been in were made by her husband. And now that they're going through this divorce and there was an instant where she walked off a set like uh, a, a few a year or so ago, having that and then seeing how she's dealing with that is just brilliant. Like, I think yeah. I love seeing the fallout. Of yeah. That. Yeah. Um, it's so good. Okay, before we bring the movie into our conversation, let's take a quick break to hear a word from today's sponsor. Let's be honest, folks. We've all turned to the fridge when we're in desperate need for home decor inspiration. How many households have you been in with a bowl of fruit painting on the wall? It's a worldwide phenomenon, and it's heartbreaking when you realize your favorite fungal ingredient just doesn't liven up your living room as you thought it would. But have no fear. Even though the mushrooms in your fridge don't have much personality, you can add some cheeky, curvaceous toadstools to your walls. Introducing Tushrooms. Former film guest Lexi Cutmore has put her artistry out into the world and let me just say, it's one of a kind. With the cap of a mushroom and body of a female figure, mushroom ladies come in a variety of customizable colors, shapes, and sizes. The drawings are a unique way to add some personalized color to your home. Plus, who isn't all about body positivity at this point? Get with the times, people. To order your tush rooms, visit Underground Art Project on Etsy.com. That's Underground Art Project on Etsy.com. That's U-N-D-G-N-D-A-R-T-P-R-O-J. Customize your fungus female today. I want to bring the movie in now uh, to talk about the plot points because I okay. think that the way that the movie plays out is, I think it's, I think it's essential to our conversation here. Um, so sure. because the way that the, again, the way that the book portrays certain, uh, certain actions, there's a scene there, there's a, there's an entire section where uh, Mariah is pregnant and she has to discuss that with her uh, with her husband, and then I'm just gonna say husband just because it's for, yeah for just ease. For, for ease here <laughs> um, is uh, like they talk about like the idea of separating and the the idea that uh, Mariah believes that she is pregnant and Carter doesn't accept that, and Mariah then takes the leap and goes to get an abortion and well, how. Sorry, go ahead. No, I I am going to like push back a little bit just that I, I don't I, I feel like the book and we can talk about whether or not the movie makes it more clear. But I feel like the book makes it pretty clear that uh, Mariah is very like pressured into an abortion into getting mm-hmm. an abortion because uh, Carter, her husband, basically gives her an ultimatum of, well, we're going to be divorcing anyway. So if you want to keep the baby you keep that baby and I'll take Kate. Right. He does. Um, that's right. Yeah. Yes. And, and my, my mistake. <laughs> no, you're, you're fine. Right. Yeah. And Mariah is just like, she's fixated on getting Kate back and Kate being released from the, whatever kind of institution that she's being held in. And Mariah just wants a life with Kate, just the two of them. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, she's really, she almost has no agency or control in the quote unquote choice to get an abortion. Um, and I think that's, you know, another huge part of, like you've said, the book is her just trying to find some control and mm-hmm. a, in a world where her career is reading lines people wrote for her are being directed. Right. Uh-huh. Her personal life is just like completely controlled by her, her, 
her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, nah, that's an inaccurate. It's not that it's completely controlled, but it, again, things like the the ultimatum, strong arming her into getting an abortion, which she didn't want really, right, and right, which yeah. I think, I, I think the abortion in the book is like the focal point of it's all really downhill from here and it Uh, never leaves her. It never stops bothering her. Yeah. Uh, And oh my God, do I love it? It's very descriptive. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I just, I just love that it's in a book kind of portraying uh, or depicting this, this, this culture where nothing really matters because nobody's really paying attention anyway. Yeah. Um, I think Didion does an amazing job showing how much that mattered uh, Mm -hmm. because it would have been easy and it would have even fit stylistically with Kate just getting the abortion and then just moving on and not thinking about it or uh, Kate, excuse me, Mariah Mm -hmm. uh, getting the abortion and then just moving on and not thinking about it, but it, it never stops haunting her. (laughs) Yeah. It definitely feels like it leaves this lasting impression. Uh, and yeah, sorry for my misinformation. No, you're fine. Um, but yeah, you, the way that it's so descriptive about what is going on, like driving there, getting to the meeting, the doctor, getting to the place and like Mm -hmm. the actual procedure. And it's so clearly descriptive and kind of, um, and, and graphic, it, it is graphic and it's, it's all under the table, which makes it, it, it gives it this edge yeah. of being even more just like filthy almost. Like yeah. It's just it's giving grimy. you a stain on your morality and yeah. And it does stay with you. It's very just like, Oh my God. And, yeah. and, uh, and it makes sense as to why she's trying to then grapple with that, you know, throughout the rest of the book. And, I want to do just a, some quick specs on the movie here. So they made so the book came out in 1970. The movie was released in 1972. It was directed by Frank Perry, who most people know as the director of uh, the, the independent film from 1962 called David and Lisa. Also, mm. Mommy Dearest, which is one of the <laughs> more famous. No wire hangers. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. Um, Didion and her husband, uh, John Gregory Dunn, wrote the screenplay together. It stars Tuesday Weld as Mariah and Anthony Perkins from psycho Mm -hmm. as bz and uh, i have so many thoughts on this movie i want to know i want to start with you though as the big didion head what did you think of the film um eh, it was okay um what i did love that's about where i'm at too you know (laughs) we got into talking about the novel but we've yet to address bz who is a major character yes uh uh-huh um so he is you know a a friend for as much as that word can be used as close as a friend that mariah is getting in this story yes um he's he's a friend of mariah's uh, a colleague of carter's um they've worked together for a while and bz is gay um you know he's Uh married to helene but uh as mariah points out to bz's mother how much are you paying (laughs) helene Mm -hmm. to stay married to him yeah um bz loves mexicans (laughs) (laughs) so uh, bz he's in the book he's such a great character um he's really interesting because in the book he's funny. First of all, I, I think a lot of the humor, the, the dry humor uh-huh. that the book has so he's, much of it comes from BZ. Yeah. Very light. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, 
he has this like sensitivity to him almost, even though he's just as much of a not good person as the rest right. of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that sensitivity comes from he's the only person in Mariah's circle to really understand where she's coming from because he feels the same way that she does. And that feeling being none of this matters. Yeah. Fuck it all. Yeah. <laughs> like whatever. And he gives a shit like he about mm-hmm. her at least. To, you know, to he does. He, yeah. I don't know if it's even so much as he cares about her, but he's interested in her. Yeah. There's and at least I, some semblance of a connection there. You know, mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning of the novel, we get a little POV from Carter where he talks about an incident where Mariah kind of had a little bit of, she, she was, I don't want to say an outburst that feels kind of like a, a direct like attack mm-hmm. <laughs> um, on a person who doesn't exist. Um, but, <laughs> but she has a moment during like a big dinner with all these actors and producers where she, she gets upset and the only person who is really, looking at her or listening to her speak was BZ mm-hmm. and Carter noticed right. because she was kind of making an attack on Carter and criticizing him. But BZ was the only one actually looking at her. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I think starting the book with that is like such a great little, like, this is how it is. It, immediately mm-hmm. you get a sense of the relationship that Carter has with BZ that Carter has with Mariah, that Mariah has with BZ and Mariah has with Carter. BZ is just this, awesome character because he really gets it but he's playing along with it anyway as much as mariah is too but then don't know if you want to get into the ending of the book sure <laughs> right yeah. away but he checks out he commits suicide he checks out <laughs> that, that might have been sorry <laughs> oops um but he but he says yeah, as you much take he's the rest like, of this one i'm good Bye. yeah <laughs> he says as much yeah. he, he's like i don't want to play anymore and he's yeah. like mariah mm-hmm. you're still playing it you yeah. know what it's like but you choose to keep going Right. So, but I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm tired of it. Uh, And which is a beautiful scene, like the way that it's written. But it really is. It's but uh, it's obviously disturbing. It's it's sick and twisted. It's so (laughs) you feel like this tenderness between the two of them. I don't know. There was something about it where I was just like I was so enthralled, like with just how Didion like portrayed that final moment between the two of them. Yeah, him committing suicide. Yeah, uh, and her not stopping him. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, he overdoses on pills, and he basically he basically dies in Mariah's arms, and she just uh-huh. kind of lets it happen. And like you yeah. said, there there is something kind of like beautiful about the way that it's written. Um, but again, Didion never indulges into that like disgusted. Isn't this so poetic? Like, no, no, writer not like ease. That. Yeah, yeah no, no. And I wasn't saying that. That's what you mm-hmm. were implying. I just love that. Again, it would have been so easy to 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 ruminate on it so much to the point where it became something like so poetic. But Didion like stops that and nips it in right. the bud. Yeah. Um, and, and clearly because it it results in Mariah being put into a mental institution. Right. Yeah. And, uh bz's wife hating her forever <laughs> oh yeah yeah immediately um, quick switch to just like total assault on mariah like yeah for the rest and, of her life yeah. and i mentioned uh, earlier talking about bz you know i bring up the fact that he's gay because i think in uh the in the novel especially and also the movie to some extent him not being sexually attracted to mariah is like I think where a lot of their connection stems from mm-hmm. because the book goes into it more, but uh, you know, Mariah kind of sleeping with 
she's having an affair with Les Goodwin. She sleeps with some actors. Like her sexuality and how much of her sexuality is conceptualized from how much men pay attention to her or want to sleep with her or whatever right, um, yeah. is a pretty big part of the book. And so I think BZ being completely uh, separate from that because he is gay um, it is kind of what makes it so that they have this real bond. And talking about the movie, I, I feel so-and-so on the movie, but I did really enjoy that the movie shows more of a connection between Mariah and BZ. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, and it, 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 I think it's cool that Didion wrote it yeah, because it's not like some other screenwriter was adapting Didion's book and no. decided I'm going to paint more of a bond between these two characters. Uh, I think it's cool that Didion kind of took that relationship and chose how to, uh, illustrate it more in a way that, that the viewer can connect to more because in the film we get to see them. They're kind of physically affectionate, Mariah and BZ. There's mm-hmm. uh, some tender, you know, squeezes and touching and They're good looking people. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and with Anthony Perkins performance as BZ, he just really, it's like it, my favorite performance of the film. And I he totally really agree. brings to life how sensitive and receptive BZ is to not only this culture, yeah. Um, but to Mariah, uh, because in the book, I think he definitely has more of a, an edge, uh, yeah. and, and mm-hmm. a mean streak. You know, we know that at one point he beats Helene, um, yes. his wife yeah. mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and Mariah calls him a degenerate. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's definitely got a, he's not a good person. I think the movie almost, um, makes him seem like a better person than he actually like is supposed to be. Yeah, so so the movie, I'm like, eh, but I I love the way that BZ's character was handled yeah. and further brought to life. Literally, again, with Anthony Perkins' performance, just seeing him move around and, and just watch people while they're talking to each other, and, yeah. but not listening to each other, and just mm-hmm. how sharp and quick he is. Um, I loved I loved his performance. I totally agree. He was definitely the best part about the movie for me. Uh, I mean, he's just a wonderful actor. <laughs> yeah. He's just a, a lovely man. Uh, and I think that, I think the performances like overall, I mean, mainly Tuesday Weld and Anthony Perkins, I think both did a good job. I think there are things about the movie that interest me, but overall it just kind of feels like it doesn't fully work for me as a, yeah, as a movie. I, like there's I, something I, about it that they clearly like, and I don't know how much of this is, due to the fact that we watched this on a clear VHS bootleg YouTube <laughs> link that we fucking watched. Criterion, can you get on this to give us a widescreen, like high def rendering of this movie? Because like, I, I there was something, and again, I, I, I don't want to fault the movie for that because like this is just the way that we watched it but there were some mm-hmm. scenes i couldn't fucking tell what was going on i know like, yeah it was, it was so really dark, dark. and i remember at and one blurry point and like they're walking on the beach and it's just like they might as well just be in front of like a navy blue screen like, I, <laughs> yeah. like but it couldn't be tell. the low definition like you said at one point i was thinking to myself while watching it i was like this kind of feels like a b movie um and yes, i was like yes, do i feel yes. that way because of the movie or because of the way that i'm watching the movie <laughs> like on youtube and well 280p i think that was one thing i was gonna say is that like it it i think that there is a clear the the way that it's stylized sure like the way 
And I mean, I don't really think like that's one problem I had with the movie is that like it doesn't really feel like there's total command of the visual style that like, yeah, there's no real movement to the camera. But like there is this there's this kind of clear like stanky film grain like to it. That's (laughs) the only way I can describe it. And not, not shitting on movies on film. That's not what I mean. It's just got this like clear like dirtiness to it like it's very the way that it's cut together some of it is kind of choppy like it's full it's widescreen it's uh colored is very kind of washed out it it is a very like b-movie kind of looking feel to it uh and especially since there's two shots where the boom mic comes i was about to say you you spot a boom yeah dip into the frame truly beautiful I literally <laughs> shouted in my living room. I was like, I, oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> I was, I was, so happy. I was <laughs> watching it with my boyfriend, and I made him pause and rewind. I was like, spot the boom. Um, um, but it, I agree that, like, it looks like a B-movie. Like, it, it looks does. like it was – it. It looks like it would be made fun of on Mystery Science Theater, it, and I say that's that what with I was love. Thinking. Yeah, I, I was like this. I watch it. I feel like mean saying this, especially because I love Didion, and also because I think we should point out. I think her and her husband wrote screenplays for some pretty like acclaimed films, Panic mm-hmm. and Needle Park. That was yes, successful, uh-huh. right? Yep, that's a uh, couple yeah. years before with uh, Al Pacino, his first yeah. movie. Her and her husband wrote that screenplay. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, and she also wrote the screenplay, possibly with her husband. I can't remember for um one of the A Star Is Born films. Right. The um, uh, the Barbara Streisand one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so so it's not like she is a bad. No. It's not like everything that she's been involved with like sucks. That's not no. what I'm trying to say. And she is absolutely not the weak part of the movie at yeah. all. That's one thing I was yeah. going to say. The thing that I actually liked but kind of leads into some of my problems with the movie is that you can feel the Didianness of the script come through. There's clear yeah. full sections of dialogue from the book lifted and just put in the story and scenes that are played out. And I think the movie is accomplishing a lot of similar themes uh, that are, that are accomplished in the book and, uh, you but and the fact that the way that they move from scene to scene feels like this essayist style of mm-hmm. scenes will just kind of end and then you go into the next thing and Mariah's just kind of moving along. That being said, though, <laughs> I found that interesting in this setting of we're studying the adaptation. It mm-hmm. was cool to see how I saw the parallel from the book to the movie. I just don't necessarily know if that fully makes a single good movie by itself yeah i doesn't feel like it fully works because it's got this choppy messy quality that is kind of off-putting yeah especially i was thinking that too like this this movie really it almost feels like you should only watch it if you read the book and want more of these characters almost because Mm -hmm. again we see more of bz and the relationship that he has with mariah um and knowing that it was you know still from didion's perception of these characters and how she wrote them it it doesn't make it feel phony at all but um you know i watched it with my boyfriend who has not read the book and i was like well what do you think of it in terms of just being a movie because you don't have a book to like compare it to because you You don't know how to read (laughs) (laughs) you're not a reader um and he was like um well you know i i liked it and he and i and he talked about like the the way that the editing is very choppy in a yeah. way that like that you and I having read the book and whoever else read the book and then watched the movie could see that it it does replicate the way that the chapters mm-hmm. um kind of end very quickly and he said that he thought that that editing worked 
because, you know, it reflects that Mariah is having this mental breakdown. And I was like, huh, yeah, you're right. And I, I was glad I watched it with somebody who like had yet to read the book because I think I was so fixated on um, j- just thinking about the book too much while watching it. Like, yeah. Oh, like either this is like, like the book does this way better, um, which I've been pretty good at not doing during the series that we're making. I've been pretty good trying to like put the book um, behind me and view it as a movie, even though of course any adaptation, it's fair to compare it to the book. Um, if not necessary. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're here but, to do, right? Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I liked the movie less than he did, which I thought was yeah. interesting. And I was like, I wonder if it's because, you know, I read the book. Um, and it, yeah. I, and I also think another thing that having read the book, especially twice, um, then influencing how I felt about the movie was Tuesday Weld and her performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, have some uh, questions I really about her performance. I did yeah. not like her performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, talking about it with my boyfriend, he was like, I think she, like, in terms of just acting, she did a fine job. And I was like, maybe, but I almost feel like she didn't do the character justice. Like, I, I feel like I've decided how Mariah as a character just is based on reading it. Um, and I think Tuesday Weld, she just has. I don't know any other movie she's been in. This is the, I, 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 I have no I. idea who she is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, but something about her, her, just her demeanor and her, just the way she is on screen. I, I think she has, there's something very like demure and, and sweet. Yes. About. Yes. Uh-huh. That I, I think it, it, it comes through in just the way that she is on screen and I wonder if that's a character choice or I wonder if that's just Tuesday Weld and who she is. Um, and I think it really does not fit at all with what Mariah's character, who Mariah, who Mariah is as a character. And, and she also just looks too healthy. I'm like, she's got yeah. too much color on her cheeks and these big, bright <laughs> yeah. doe eyes. And like, she does not look like someone who is only eating sardines, cottage cheese and hard boiled eggs. Yeah, she's just barely <laughs> getting by. So that was going to be a question that I had because like, I didn't think her performance was bad. Like, I thought she's clearly like committed. Like she's, tr- I think she's trying. Like she's clearly like putting in effort and I appreciate that. And I like her scenes with Anthony Perkins. Like there's the one of where Anthony Perkins basically states the theme of like, it all amounts to nothing. And he has mm-hmm. that speech about his grandfather and his dad. And that's really yeah, great. Yeah. Which isn't in the book too. And, and right. I like yes, being able to. That, yeah. That, that felt like it was a leap that they took mm-hmm. for adding to the film. But uh yeah, I, because when I was reading the book, I kind of got this sense that Mariah was hardened in a way. Like she was oh, much yeah. more of a grittier character in a way. And I don't mean that in like the grindhouse, like gritty kind of way. Like, but <laughs> she's clearly seen some shit and she's been through yeah. some shit. And she like is, you can see the progression of her then just downward and completely just kind of being like, all right, well let's go like, yeah i didn't expect but like yeah i do agree that like she's she almost has this tuesday well it almost has this like childlike quality to her yeah. in that scene i was just talking about there's a scene there's like she like jumps like down in the background or something like that and i was like that was very strange and there's that. something about her that like 
like I I agree that she is just kind of like when she's changing the tire on the highway, she's like, oh, yeah, I like to do it. She's like, like bright what? and chipper. And, you yeah. know, maybe that's just like supposed to be Mariah knowing how to appeal to men. <laughs> but, possibly, possibly, possibly. But I do agree that she is very like and that's why I want to ask if like when you read it, like when you read the book, I definitely got this sense that Mariah had this kind of harder outer core or outer crust to her as a character. But Tuesday Weld is very like. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. I, but I also yeah. think there's a big thing with the movie is that I, when I finished the book, I was like, wow, okay. I feel like in the pit of my stomach, like something like disturbing and unsettling. And I don't really feel that with the movie. I think they do do a good job of adapting certain scenes and bringing some ideas of characters in. And I also found at times difficult to kind of keep track of certain characters in the book. So I thought like seeing <laughs> yeah. them was helpful to me personally. It will Carter, to- Carter and BZ look extremely similar. In yes. Film, <laughs> yes. That is also true, which difficult. is not helpful. Uh, <laughs> give one of them shorter hair. I don't know why they or give fucking wardrobe. Anthony Perkins, this Chris Christopherson haircut. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but by the end of it, I, like when she smiles at the camera, I was like, okay. Yeah, I hated that. <laughs> I did um, not like that at all. <laughs> and I, I, I also didn't like the choice to have, you know, Mariah giving the exposition that we get in the book from the opening chapter, which is in her POV. And she's at the, the mental in- health institution talking about being committed uh, after BZ's death. And she was like, here, I just, I lay by the pool. I watch the hummingbirds, uh, blah, 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 in the book. And so I didn't like the choice to have Tuesday Weld, like, walking around and then the narr- the, the mental institution grounds and she's wearing nice clothes. And Yeah, that was, that was very, like, what? Because like the- I Mariah's character, I picture, is just, like... And, and and the people around her say as much in the book, just uh, this inert, just, like, lying there, just, like, lump. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just picture her, like, lying by the pool or lying out in the sun all day in in the mm-hmm. mental, mental institution, which and Helene, just- in her chapter, says as much, like, I went to go visit Mariah, and she was just lying outside, and I couldn't yeah. do it. Just uh, time passing her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think like when they're filming on location for Carter's film and the novel, Mariah just lays in bed for like days. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, Carter clearly resents her for it in the book. He's again, vicious. He's like, why don't you just fucking kill yourself? (laughs) Yeah. Uh Like, why don't you just die? You might as well. You already act like you're dead. Um, And that kind of cruelty isn't really in the film either um which i kind of had a problem with i I feel like the film almost does he does throw a glass though that's true he does yeah (laughs) there's definitely like arguments and you get that he completely hates her and resents her um but in the book it's just so mean it's vicious and i'm a fan of like (laughs) the mean stuff yeah, I was excited for the on location section. I like, was that too. That to me and was the most like gripping part of the book. Yeah, it's, uh, it's and awesome. The fact that they like that whole argument specifically. When I read that, I like read it again because I was like, mm-hmm. I just need to like make sure that sat with me because like when he just kind of snaps and calls her ugly and like um like going menopausal. through a menopausal and yeah. was just like, oh my god, and he's like seething with rage. And then in the book, it's just like, tell me what you want. 
all right, or in the movie, and then he or just in throws, the movie, yeah, yeah, in the movie, he's just like, tell me what you want, and then he just throws a glass, and I was like, yeah. oh, but like, it could have been so much more impactful if it was like, if there was an edge to it, and they also just cut out that whole, like, uh, the whole thing with Susanna uh, Wood, is that her Oh, name? where like the, the, one, the, the lead actor of the film like beats her up. Yeah. 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 I'm not saying like, I want to see it. Like I was just like, <laughs> that, that had such good like meaning to it. Like there was a lot of good intention behind what that represented in that scenario where it feels like in that section of the book, everything is falling apart. Yeah, like, exactly. Cause like they have to stop filming for a few days because Susanna, yeah. the actress who's in Carter's film, she's like bruised. They can't film and they get behind schedule and it's like, 110 degrees like you get this feeling of just claustrophobia and being trapped in a situation that's just spiraling down Mm -hmm. and and nobody is happy with how it's going and everyone's frustrated and and it's really like being trapped and then it makes bz's suicide feel so much more like heavy yeah like like he just had to get out um, because yeah. he commits suicide while they're still uh, on location. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that's like the last, that's like the second, like one of the last chapters of the book. And then it cuts mm-hmm. to, we hear like Mariah doing like an inner monologue. Of, yeah. Um, like I said, why and why not? And I do enjoy the way that they handle the BZ suicide scene in the movie. I don't know. There was something about it that yeah. I, I, that kind of worked for me. Like there was a, at least a feeling of like the director, like Frank Perry was, on hand you know it felt like he was clearly like making sure there was something between these actors and when they hold hands i was like okay this actually feels something and then it hard cuts to helene yelling into the camera yeah like which i didn't mind personally but this gets into another bigger issue the stylistic choices that frank perry does choose to use don't really amount to much like the Requiem for a Dream quick cutting section stuff that didn't really fully work for me. Yeah, because in the book, it's way less like obvious. And I think that just kind of comes from like two different mediums or whatever. Yeah. Like if a visual medium, if you're trying to showcase that Mariah can't stop thinking about her plumbing getting backed up after watching- you know, the cells from her abortion get thrown into the garbage and like, yeah. thinking, like all these visceral images that just kind of start bleeding into each other to make something just that feels like sick and uh, unavoidable, uh, you know, because she has to, she rents a different apartment because the sinks start backing up at her house that she's renting and it, it's after her abortion and in her like paranoid frantic mind the two things start to connect so she's like i just have to leave uh in the film you don't really have that kind of introspection uh so they you know rely on the like quick cutting like you said like requiem for a dream Mm -hmm. of like a garbage disposal the trash can opening i appreciate that they at least did it Mm -hmm. Um, it took a chance it took a chance yeah whether or not i think it worked it's just like it's so hard to think that it worked when you're thinking of the book and you're like it's just so much better because in the book you just really get the sense of all of it slowly closing in on mariah yeah i guess like for me in terms of a bigger picture thing like when they first did it like you said with the trash can and the faucet i was like okay this is an interesting choice and then pairing it with you know tuesday weld's you know, kind of more bubbly performance it doesn't really feel, it doesn't really feel like 
there is an effect. It's just yeah, like, because- okay, she had this one moment of like a visceral, like in that moment reaction. And then there isn't really much else bringing you back to that feeling. Yeah. Because again, in the book, we know all of this is going on in the back of Mariah's head. Um, and so like in the present that she's, you know, in, in the game that she's playing of existing in Hollywood and like getting yeah. a divorce, whatever, trying to have a career. She's just like catatonic yes. and completely cold to it. But in Tuesday Weld's performance, it seems like almost like she's, it, it makes it look like Mariah is still enjoying being a part of yeah. this world. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Like she, mm-hmm. she's like you said, bubbly. Um, and part of me really feels like it just comes from Tuesday Weld, like looking the way that she looks. She's like, she's so cute. Um, yeah, she's a very beautiful person. And, and and again, just demure and sweet. And, and her voice is so light. And I think in the book, Mariah is portrayed as having this kind of like hardness about mm-hmm. her, um, which people throw in her face, people, men throw in her face, because I think the book does have something to really say about you know, womanhood and being a woman yeah. in, in this like boys club that is the Hollywood directors and producers and screenwriters. Like it's all men directing yeah. you and telling you what to say and whatever. And so where do women lie in it? Because in the book, we get more details about the one s- semi-successful film that Mariah was in uh, Angel Beach, the yep. fictitious, obviously. Um, and in the book, they make it clear that it's like a B-movie. It's like a, a rape and revenge thing, almost. Um, mm-hmm. Or if not rape and revenge, then definitely an exploitation film. Yeah, some in which like the Roger Corman era yeah, film, yeah. In which the character that Mariah plays in that film um, is gang raped by a motorcycle gang. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she she talks about seeing the two different endings for the film, one of which was like the motorcycle gang and another one of which was mariah's character just walking and seem seeming kind of powerful right and mariah saying that she preferred that ending over the one of like focusing on the motorcycle gang in the book they make it clear that it's it's some kind of exploitation film of, of mariah's yeah. character being just raped and brutalized mm-hmm. and exploited and in the movie i don't think they really like touch on that we get flashes of them watching angel beach and like I don't mm-hmm. know, the cutting room floor or something. I don't know where yeah, they're watching it. they're just it. riding motorcycles. That's pretty much it. Yeah, and so you don't really get a sense of what the film is about. And it kind of bugged me that that was missing. And it's another thing that makes me feel like, I feel like this movie is best watched if you read the book because you get to fill in those gaps. Yeah. Um, because another gripe I had was, uh, you know, in the book, this is not a gripe I have with the book, Mariah in her opening POV chapter talks about how what what got Carter attention first as a filmmaker was this like artsy film he made just following Mariah around while she did things about her day. And you get the impression that it's not like she even was talking to the camera or to Carter as much. He was just following her just doing her own thing and then it was like a hit with like the artsy film bros and like students would come up to her and be like oh my god like i saw you in in mariah the title of the film that carter made and you get the sense that carter's success kind of did come from having mariah Mm -hmm. but the the industry twists it and throws it in mariah's face is like you wouldn't have your career without your husband right 
And then, so my gripe with the movie uh, was that they also show scenes from the Mariah film where Carter just follows her around. And in, in the, in the movie, the movie within the movie, uh, it's Carter almost like interviewing Mariah. And again, Tuesday Weld's performance, she's sweet and bubbly and engaging Mm -hmm. with the camera and everything. And um, I really did not like it because in the book, you get the sense that that film of him just following Mariah around, she's just being, it's like voyeuristic in a way. Uh, And then I didn't like that in the movie, it just shows her character as just like, her talking to the camera and being about her life and whatever. I get that they're trying to put more of that exposition in there that you don't get as organically as you would in a novel. Yeah. Which is not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea, but again, in terms of like Mariah's character, it made her seem bubbly and open about things that is this true to the character, which I mean, you know, Didion wrote it for the film. So you could say, yeah, it is if the author decided, but yeah, I don't know. So I don't know if it boils down to Tuesday Weld being miscast, or <laughs> that's like or not miscast. But I, I just don't. I just think she's too sweet. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It it does feel a little bit of like misplacement. Yeah, um, and I I think I do agree that there's clearly supposed to be a comment on like a woman's place in society and how like Mariah is kind of just like floating through the ether. You know, yeah. she's, you know, the only like taking space, taking up space and not making decisions is kind of what she's seen as. Like I said, like um, men will just talk past her. Yeah. Uh, obviously other instances where they're obviously like demeaned by uh, she's being demeaned by men who will never be satisfied. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Carter is never satisfied at like anything. Yeah. Like, what do you want? Like what? Like, tell me what you think. Like X, Y and Z, all that. And that's emotional abuse. And then there's in certain characters cases, actual physical abuse. Yeah. And it it's very poignant. And mm-hmm. you understand the, you know, the gender hierarchy of of this uh of this world i i found that interesting and i didn't find it like it wasn't boring because it was told in a way that i thought was engaging but also felt still fresh because mm-hmm. it wasn't just someone being like oh know your place mariah you know it was yeah. like actual like it was just like the way it is it felt like it had a ripple effect in every single person that was interacted with but the way that it is is also very poignant to how you know women in society are treated today and i don't want to like sound like you know i'm, I'm mansplaining that in any no, way you're not. um no. but in the movie it doesn't really feel like that i mean there's a couple yeah. scenarios where you can kind of sense like again like talking past mariah or not really caring or they're more just talking about like their own projects and ignoring her mm-hmm. or like there's that scene early on with BZ and Helene and them like they're making like the drinks or whatever and they're talking about Mexico and but like it doesn't again it still doesn't really feel rich you know yeah. like I don't know yeah I was gonna say that I think there are thematic elements of you know w- womanhood and being a woman or what it means to be a mother um especially when you when your career is in a male dominated field like for example um in the book this isn't in the movie but mariah is still trying to get acting roles again Mm -hmm. and she goes to some 
something with an agent or casting or whatever where she thinks she's going to be the lead but then it turns out that she was going to be cast as the teacher yeah and it upsets uh-huh. her she like cries over it yeah um uh-huh. And yeah, so I think the book is like making this commentary uh, on, again, like womanhood, being a mother, uh, what it means to be a woman when it comes to men (laughs) deciding roles for you, like a maternal teacher, um, like, and how men see you, because all of that is a lot clearer in the book, just with how mean everyone is. (laughs) Yeah. That's simplifying it, but oh my God, are all the men just mean nightmares and all the women feed into it too like you can see how it kind of ends up affecting how they feel about themselves and other women but yeah in in the book you know men are constantly calling her like a cunt and yeah uh-huh. just like a lot of like vicious gendered insults and uh and i don't think in the movie the the, the whole menopausal argument happens between her and carter i can't remember no. but in the book he says I'm, I'm sick of this menopausal bullshit and she's like don't say that word to me yeah and he says well you're gonna get old mariah like you're mm-hmm. getting old and it bothers her uh and i think it it it's just a perfect um portrayal of you know the kind of like age old and still relevant gendered issues of men can age and still have their careers uh especially in hollywood but women aging you know you're going to age out of the uh, Mm -hmm. 18 year old bombshell role in the movie and then age into the like teacher yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) or just like you know having it said in hollywood where we're watching you know screen tests and auditions and you know dailies constantly auditioning for men's approval yeah yeah you know the way that they're constantly like hey come check out this girl for the screen test and mariah's like why am i here like i don't know why i need to watch this and yeah or having a character like and i know i'm gonna mispronounce his name i think it's larry culick i always thought it was kulik Um, kulik okay yeah yeah he is a monster (laughs) (laughs) an actual harvey weinstein like figure in the center of this movie or the center of this story and he it does nothing in the movie like he just has yeah, someone like yeah. rubbing suntan lotion on him. He's like, "Hey, I'll give you the hotel room, but only for one night, doll yeah, face." You know, that's basically it. Yeah, <laughs> he is way more of a presence in the book. And, and in the book, he's, he's like, you know, judging character. people and being like, like talk, like commenting on how young certain women look, and like, ah, oh, mm-hmm. you know, they'll come to me no problem. And it's like so yeah. gross and grimy yeah. <laughs> and disgusting. And he's just like barely in the movie. Like, and it just, and I was disappointed in that because again you have a big Hollywood figure in this Hollywood story and have him be disgusting and a monster. And I'm not just saying that because of a byproduct of the me too era, but it Mm -hmm. was already in the source material and it worked really well. So it was strange why it wasn't carried over, you know? Yeah. And, and again, that whole in the book, that whole um, idea of, of Mariah being scrutinized by men in the most like, disgusting demeaning ways of whether or not they want to sleep with her whether or not they want to cast her in the movie like i think that's where her connection with bz and and him being gay is kind of what like shows because again he's not sexually attracted to her so he's not Mm -hmm. looking at her in that kind of way and i think it helps with her being able to kind of connect to him um and you know, and be real with him because because he never criticizes her, I, I believe. He never criticizes her for how she's feeling. Whereas mm-hmm. with Carter, he's like, you're just being menopausal or yeah. like it's because of the abortion, which like mm-hmm. it's not like that's entirely untrue. Um, 
but BZ never really brings in her like gender yeah <laughs> uh uh-huh. to to try to explain away why she's feeling the way she feels he's like no it's completely real to feel the way you feel because this is what it does to you like living in this world because yeah. i feel it too uh and i just i love that just that detail of how they're able to connect like that and, and we also get that wonderful scene in the book of when they were first doing they being carter and bz I can't remember why it's when Mariah met BZ for the first time Mm -hmm. and she went with Carter to BZ's house and he was watching the Mariah film in the dark on this big screen and Mariah came in and just saw herself on screen. But then when she comes into the room, BZ isn't looking at the screen. He's looking at her. Yeah. Like, Uh and, and I think, and it's just so perfect because it's like, he he could just keep looking at the screen because he's like focusing <laughs> on the movie, but like he's looking at her, he's seeing her as she mm-hmm. is, and I love that that's like the introduction of how they met, because then it shows how their relationship continued to be, uh, even though he's not particularly like nice to her again. He's yeah, still, he still he's, has his he's still got a temper on him. He's he has, still got he's his... got a temper, and he's there's there's nothing about him that's super duper warm and inviting yeah uh which again i thought it was interesting that in the film they did make him kind of more tender and and gentle with just Mm -hmm. he's he's very physically affectionate with her in like a sweet way and um just squeezing and hugging and yeah yeah. and there's also a scene in the film which i did not like and i thought it was out of place where he goes with her to see kate in the oh yeah i thought that was kind yeah, of weird. what was going on with that, that <laughs> yeah was very, i didn't like that that was a scene where it was like so quick i didn't even have time to actually like get my bearings and understand what was happening yeah she's I, like holding something well she, she's she like, bought something for kate yeah uh and then he goes to give it to her and i was yeah, like this just feels make, out of place that doesn't work that's i i didn't like yeah why would he be there <laughs> yeah. why, why would he and he, i also he only cares to a certain extent i yeah i also know? like i also didn't like that in the film they really take out the less good one uh, an actor that she's having an affair with yes Th- that's, thank you i think like eliminated from the film his name shows up like written by Les goodwin and carter lang and that's it he is not a physical body in this film at all yeah and <laughs> Which gets into a bigger thing about the the book and the movie that caught my eye is that especially in the book and I mean correct me if I'm wrong but everyone is fucking everybody like everyone, <laughs> in the book yeah everyone feels <laughs> yeah. like they're just hooking up with whoever they want oh, yeah and having point, cross relationships like at Carter one point, gets with Helene like I was about to say at one point Carter gets with Helene and like mm-hmm. ironically that seems to really be the tipping point for BZ yeah um, e- even though again he's gay. It, mm-hmm. it, he seems like really heartbroken yeah. that she is Helene is sleeping with Carter, um, which I think again, kind of highlights that he does have some sense of how things are supposed to be mm-hmm. or, or what it means to be a good person. <laughs> right. And so Carter sleeping with Helene because Carter is his supposed friend too. Right. Just like really hurts him. Uh, yeah. But less good when, yeah, being such a, constant like I mean not constant but a clear presence in the book and having that uh that the idea that she had an affair also adding to that like I I don't I don't know why that would be omitted yeah you know? well be, because it, it's less Goodwin's baby um right which I think they mentioned I think it's like a passing line in the film 
that it's not his, it's not Carter's. I can't remember. Yeah, I think I think they say it when she's like on the phone or something like that. And yeah, she's like driving to the 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 guy. Yeah. Um, but the fact that we don't see him that makes it just kind of arbitrary. It could just yeah. be anybody. Well, like, well, it's, yeah. it is kind of interesting because in the book he's not physically there mm-hmm. um, until you know he meets up with Mariah at like a motel. Um, right. And they're together for like one night. But there's like more mention of him. I, I was know, about to say, but there's yeah. plenty of mentions of him because mm-hmm. the narrator makes it clear that Mariah just like she really wants to talk to him about what's going on. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And and also and it makes me think of that line from Carter's POV chapter where he says Mariah has trouble speaking to whom she is not sleeping with. Mm-hmm. Like she can't really like connect with anybody unless she's having a sexual relationship with them. Uh, which also seems kind of like untrue because she connects with BZ uh, and it's just Carter's perception of Mariah being like, I don't know, like a a slut or something. Um, Which I think also like people call her a slut in the book too. People, men. Um, Yeah. uh And so. A lot of derogatory terms. A lot of derogatory gendered terms against women just mm-hmm. thrown at mariah in this book unfairly for the most part too um not that it's ever fair to call anybody those words but anyway you know she's really yearning for less goodwin in, in the book which i think yeah. is like interesting to see um because she's she's just trying to figure out a way to talk to him or she's like if he could just make me laugh maybe this will all be better um but then people are always like you have no humor anymore mariah (laughs) yeah she's not really laughing at anything that's another gripe i have in the movie i'm like she's smiling way too much yeah tuesday uh world it's yeah it does kind of sound like does kind of feel like she's not really almost aware of what the world that she's in like she's just kind of there like yeah it just doesn't it feels very passive and it's very strange yeah Uh, and and yeah, I totally agree that like giving the mention of Les Goodwin and like having Mariah really wants to talk to him gives her at least one sense of something to chase throughout the book that mm-hmm. you that it is referred back to. And yeah, and it I also mean, makes her very quickly it makes her abortion like much more um, have a huge an even larger emotional impact. Yeah, because she 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 loves Les Goodwin mm-hmm. and she wants to be with him, and and so I think having to abort. The, the child that they conceived um it it clearly has like this even bigger impact <clears throat> on mariah um than it already had yeah i i agree and i just think that that again coming uh <clears throat> back to the point about just the characters in the film and how you don't really get a good sense of their you know connection with one another or like with other uh you know, just the you understand. Obviously, you understand that like BZ is her friend and uh, Carter is her husband. But I felt like the book, like there was much more of a group. I don't want to say like a full on group dynamic, but everyone felt like like Helene felt like a character. You know, oh, yeah, and, she's not really a character in the film. No, and they're and they obviously give you know Benny some significant screen time in the in the film. Oh, Benny Austin, yeah, Benny Austin, which is you know another thing we haven't mentioned yet, uh, and. Which is a, a part of the movie that I, I honestly didn't mind because I uh, I liked the the information that they give about Mariah's past and how her father had purchased or had gotten the what's what's the name of the Silverwells Silverwells Nevada yeah after he yeah. lost their house on like yeah. a, a bet or something and understanding that there's this like kind of this 
failed past uh, aspect to her character. And Benny is the one connective tissue where she's like, you know, trying to ask about her mother and get some more family information that way. Um, and I, and I enjoyed that, but at the same time, again, like it's felt so like Tuesday Wells felt so childlike in that sense. Yeah. Like, it just was like, it was she almost seemed, my mom. Like, yeah. She just, seemed like, like too happy to see Benny Austin. Yeah. Who was a uh-huh. friend of her parents because, uh, in the book, I think that anecdote about her basically bumping into Benny Austin, it ends with her hiding in the bathroom and trying to like leave without him mm-hmm. knowing, like she basically chooses to walk away from it. Um, and in the film, she's like trying to find him for like, yeah, a, which, like, which to be fair, I think in the book too, she's trying to like get a letter to him mm-hmm. um, at one point. Uh, but I, yeah, I, that was another thing that I didn't really like about the movie was the way they did slip in that exposition about her family. Um, they made it sound a lot more I, I, Tuesday Weld's performance made it sound a lot more uh, less tragic than it actually was because in the book we have the detail of you know when she got the letter from her father about how her mother had been in a car accident and like coyotes got to her mm-hmm. dead body like days before she was discovered it, it's so brutal and cruel and like senseless in the like overall why question existential way um and that detail was like not in the film she's just like my mother drove her car off the road yeah uh-huh. um then i think if she she clarifies in the film her father died of some disease which i actually can't remember if in the book that was clarified but we get some also again tragic things like at one point in the book uh, Mariah wakes up crying for her mother mm-hmm. like you get much more of a sense of the way that her family was um, and just the idea of family in general kind of it sits with Mariah and because yeah. she because she fantasizes about having her own family with, with Kate and Wes Goodwin or then it turns into just Mariah and Kate um, and so that idea of like family and what it means to be you know, a mother or whatever. I, I think those kinds of ideas, they weren't obvious or like ham fisted in the book, um, but they were a lot more, they had a presence that I don't think was there in the movie. Yeah, I agree. Um, I want to uh, start talking about some analysis stuff because I, I want to circle back to the ending. Sure. Because I had a, like, I had more questions about the ending for the movie than I did with the book because when the book ends and you have that, you know, like you said, the the really well-written suicide scene and then the continuing back to Mariah's inner monologue about how, you know, this is the one thing that I know that no one else does. It's yeah, like, Carter like, doesn't get it. Helene doesn't get it. She, mm-hmm. They don't get that. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, nothing matters. So just you have to, why? Like, you have to keep going. Why? Why mm-hmm. not? Really awesome, great way to end a story. Uh, really, you know, again, just capturing the theme I'll talk about I want to talk about the rattlesnake in just a second. Sure. Um, but in the film, we get back to Mariah walking through the grounds of I, I don't even know where the fuck she is, like the I, Rose I Garden it is, or something. It's supposed, like to, <laughs> it's supposed to be like a mental hospital or something. And yeah, and I, but she's it, just it didn't feel clinical enough because that's no. another thing I love about the book very quickly is how clinical a lot of the language feels mm-hmm. on Didion's part. Um, talking about like the medications 
yeah. that uh, Mariah is abusing, <laughs> like yeah. the sleeping pills. And mm-hmm. at one point, the way she describes Kate getting a spinal tap. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And it, there's just something so like, and, and the abortion too, the way that Didion um, describes that, it, it just feels so clinical and cold. Um, and like she's not assigning the kind of again like wistful poetic feelings yeah. that a writer so easily could those kinds mm-hmm. of things, um, and so that's what I didn't like about in the film Mariah walking around I guess the grounds of the mental hospital is that it, it looks too nice. Yeah, it's very it's very upscale. It's just like her and bunch of bushes yeah. like which don't get me wrong i mean her being at a mental hospital in like hollywood and being an actress i'm sure yeah, she's could. an upscale one anyway for sure but it still just didn't feel like cold enough yeah uh-huh and but you know she recites that i don't i it may be word for word from the book i can't remember if it's the I can't exact remember either <laughs> right word uh, wording but it's 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 very it's, it's a lot of it is there and so she's reciting it and then she looks at the camera and says or someone says why, and then she says why not, yeah. and then she smiles, and then it fades to black. And I was just so confused by this because when the book ends, you get like this again, like I said, this pit in your stomach feeling of like, wow, okay, I just watched a woman just try and gain some control over her life and then totally not be able to, and then her being like kind of accepting of that in a very depressing way. Mm-hmm. Like that is very just like, wow, that just like really hits you. And then the film, like, I don't really know what is trying to be said with that specific choice because it almost feels like happy and she's like, okay with it. Like it feels kind of like purposeful. Yeah, or it almost felt a little too like only a crazy person would feel this way. Like, (laughs) see, she's like smiling about it. Because yeah, is it like sinister? Like, is it yeah, like? Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I didn't. I remember thinking like, oh my god, I really didn't like that ending. And another thing too that I don't think the movie, since it is lacking a lot of the backstory about um, Mariah, like growing up in Silver Wells with her father and the way he would gamble and everything. Um, I think the movie was missing a lot of that. The, the general thematic idea of like gambling, taking bets. Yeah, trying uh-huh. to cap like capitalize on some kind of fortune or luck and how it's all chance and the way that Mariah kind of carries that ideology into her life of just it's all chance so mm-hmm. so play it as it lays um and just go with it whatever happens happens I, I felt like with that kind of context of how of 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 her father and Benny Austin and her mother with the contest she would enter like being missing from the movie, which I think some of that context is there. Definitely. It also makes that, well, why not sentiment feel more kind of like, uh, out of nowhere, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I agree. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's just, it was just like a weird way to end the movie. Yeah. Because in in the book, the, the, well, why not sentiment, you get it. Yeah. Um, and you get where that comes from and it doesn't feel corny or weird. <laughs> yeah. I just wish like, again, like adding to the idea of like, why is she walking around these grounds in nice clothes and she looks all like, you know, very properly put together and like fine and just kind of wandering through. And then she's just like, why not? Okay. Yeah. With like a like, little smile. It's like, again, Tuesday weld looks too healthy and cute. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like we need a, a person who just like, 
lays in the sun all day but somehow still looks pale and sick and yeah 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 absolutely in terms of like final takeaways for like the story and analysis i just think that and also bringing in the idea of the rattlesnake this image of doesn't her dad say something like you know if you lift up a rock there may be a rattlesnake under it yeah again in the book there's this idea of the general quiet terror that Mariah is just living with every day with Kate being um, away from her and being in that institution. And, you know, she's visiting Kate too much. Mm-hmm. The nurses are telling her, like, you're disrupting Kate's general recovery or any kind of progress. You're disrupting it. You're visiting her too much. Right. Uh-huh. You know, Mariah is really dealing with this everyday terror and paranoia. And I also think, like, per- feelings of personal failure. Yes. Um, of just, you know, not being able to be a mother because her daughter is away from her in a place where she feels that they're not taking care of her. You know, she says that Kate's hair gets tangled. Mm-hmm. They, they wouldn't have given her a spinal tap if they knew about the soft down on her spine. I love that line. It's so beautiful. Uh, and then she has to have, she is basically coerced or forced into an abortion. And so, yeah, you get, and, and, and this all draws back to, this image that she has of a rattlesnake in a baby's crib, which I think comes came from a, a news article that she read or something and that she just never got out of her head. Yeah. I, 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 again, it all plays into this big general theme. I think of Mariah trying to quietly navigate her womanhood uh, mm-hmm. in a, in a culture and in a career that throws it in her face. Uh, and then also just, any kind of feelings of like her, her maternal feelings and how it's just impossible for those to come to any kind of positive fruition in a place where she's living with just paranoia and anxiety. Yeah. And again, mm-hmm. quiet terror. And uh, to, to go back to Didion's essay, the white album um, she talks about, you know, reading the headlines of just the violence that was ha- happening in LA constantly, like murders and everything. And just, dealing with this feeling that she had of one day I'm going to open the door and it's going to be a stranger with a knife. Yeah. And and I think knowing where Didion's head was at uh, and then seeing, you know, in the book, Mariah kind of having this paranoia about like just awful things can happen and they do happen. So they will happen to me. Yeah. Um, And you can't really question them. Like there's no real reason to do so. You just have to go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just think it's, it's very interesting. And again, I think a, a big talking about analysis, definitely something that Didion is saying about um, w- womanhood uh, that I just can't articulate right now. <laughs> and, and also because I think it, I think reading more into um, Didion's essays would definitely give me a lot more to say, but mm-hmm. I have not done that. So Oh, but I think it is worth mentioning. Okay, really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Didion in in Slouching Towards Bethlehem, she talks about, uh, which which I haven't read in its entirety. Um, She talks about the hippie movement and how it's just like completely not sustainable. Yeah. (laughs) And how it was a sign of just like moral decay. Um, And I've seen in present time, some writers call her like right wing for that ideology. Uh, mm-hmm. or like socially conservative um and so i i think 
and, and you know, I, I'm not going to like really comment too much on that um, because ultimately like who cares? I think Didion and, and what she had to say about how she felt that like the hippie movement and the free love and drugs and whatever movement was just completely fraying at the seams of any kind of a cohesive society that could move that could move forward in any kind of productive way. Those kinds of sentiments, I think, do tie into any kind of commentary or a commentary on, again, womanhood, motherhood, how, what does it do to you morally to have a career where you're starring in B movies, mm-hmm. where you're being raped, like, but it's not it's not you it's a character it's someone else it, it's a different woman even though she looks just like you and talks just like you um you know any kind of like ruminating on what that does to you morally um i think it is all interconnected and yeah and i and think it takes it takes sorry very quickly no, i think it does take someone who maybe leans a little more socially conservative or whatever you want to call it again i wouldn't even go as far as calling her like conservative mm-hmm. but whatever i think it does take someone who is not just like completely like like woohoo whatever like it's all yeah. great and fine uh-huh. like I, I think that kind of cynicism that does come from um having more critiques for those, those freedom free love whatever kinds of movement um I, I think it makes for a, a writer who is going to then have deeper things to really think about when it comes to, uh, uh, again, commentary on womanhood, being a mother, yeah. whatever, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, t- I totally get what you mean. <laughs> and I like that I she doesn't really have, no, it's, I, I, it's good. I, 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 and I like that there isn't like a moment in the book where, a character just spouts this whole thing about like, this is what womanhood is like. And this is what, this is what's going on. And this is what should be like, there's this whole, this whole position of this is the way things are and you can only push forward. And that's all that you can do. And it gives this feeling of just like futility, but subtextually you're like, Oh wow. There's, a larger problem that's being conveyed here yeah. as opposed to being like Mariah is not a woke warrior, you know, like <laughs> combating every single element of misogyny that she encounters daily. Yeah. If anything, know? she's kind of complicit in it. And I think it's like when BZ beats Helene, Helen, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, at one point BZ is like, you didn't have anything to say about it when it was happening. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And see again, that, that like bite that like yeah ferocity that happens in the book is like so important to the final like to the final message yeah and, and again I, th- I think it's didion almost saying like there's no way to be this deep into it and not have it just bankrupt you anyway like yeah. there's there's no way to be the like social justice warrior speaking out against it if you're already like this deep into it yeah i i, I totally agree in it uh it definitely sticks with you. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's for certain. Um, well, I, I okay. love this book. That's what I book have is to say. the book is phenomenal. <laughs> I think that answers our question though. Like so, but just for clarity, if you had to pick one bet- between the book or the film, a play it as it lays, which one speaks to you more? The book for sure. Um, mm-hmm. God, yeah, just Didion's language, her prose—it's just beautiful and haunting. It like stays with you. Uh, and and again, she wrote the screenplay with her husband, so it's not like that kind of 
um, those punches are lacking in the film. Yeah. But there's just not as many and they just don't stay with you as much. And also, I think the film, we kind of touched on this, the editing, directing, whatever, it distracts from yeah. how strong the writing is. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously with a novel, you're not going to get anything that distracts you in that kind of way. You get to just sit with it. I totally agree. Yeah, the, I'm going to say the book too. I had a blast reading the book, even though obviously it is a very disturbing and unsettling uh, story. It's a breeze. It goes by really quickly. Yeah, yeah. And very it short was, chapters. It was one that I kept being like, oh, let me do a couple more. I want to do a couple more chapters because I could go through it really quickly. Um, and there were so many layers to it and so much information to take in that made the story more rich. Um, I, I, I know we said a lot of things about the movie. I wouldn't necessarily call the movie like it's not a bad movie. I just yeah, don't no. think it, it, it's not a, I just don't think it fully works and connects as a standalone thing. Like I think Anthony Perkins is really good. I think there are scenes from the book that are brought into the film that work really well. I think it's an interesting exercise overall of just taking the like bare bones Diddy and style from literature to film. Yeah. And I think that that's an interesting idea, but film language doesn't take over, you know, like there isn't like the directing style and the editing style distract you rather than add to telling the story. Yeah. That's and a good way to put it. That to me is not what you want in a film adaptation of a novel. And I think that if I were to watch this film again, like I said, I would love to watch it in the context of having like an actual like HD remastered version (laughs) of it so that it would actually look good. I would also love to see what it would look like in widescreen because (laughs) it clearly was just made for, it looked like it was made for television. I I, I did not, I did not like that. But again, I don't think that that, is the movie's fault. I think that's just the way that we happen to see it. Cause it's clearly shot on film. They can remaster it fairly easily. I'm sure. Yeah. It'll be fine. But <laughs> uh, yeah, the book definitely stays with me and uh, it's been really interesting to dissect it uh, over the past few weeks. And I, I'm excited, honestly, to read it again at some point and to delve deeper into uh, Didion's work. So, uh, you know, once again, like, uh, like ghost world, thank you for introducing this. You to are me. welcome. <laughs> I am so happy to, ah, what a time it has been. Uh, this was, this was great. Rihanna. Thank you as always. You are welcome. Thank you as always. This is uh, so fun. All you lovely listeners. Thank you so much as always, uh, come back in two weeks. We'll have another episode of frankly, I love movies off the shelf. So for now, see you guys later. Goodbye everyone. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Frankly I Love Movies Off the Shelf. You can follow us on Instagram at Frankly I Love Movies and at Frankly underscore podcasts on Twitter. Our show is produced by Sullivan J. Harris with music by Kanan Harris and series artwork by Rihanna Henson. I'm Rihanna Henson. I'm Josh Wall. Frankly, I love books. And frankly, I love movies.